Everyone bundled. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we had the space heater plugged in earlier, but it was making the extension cord it was like sparking, pop and sizzle. Um. And we were like, yeah, I don't want to die in a fire. <laughs> no, no, no. And these things, my parents have lived in an Airstream for seven years now, wow. I think. Yeah, they. my mom retired, and they are doing the campground host thing. Mm -hmm. My dad's super mechanically inclined, so yeah. he found it's whatever the last year of the drivable ones Oh, uh, okay. They're wow. super yeah. rare. Yeah. He flew to Texas to buy it, and he restored it, and that's nice. just what they do. Yeah. But Amazing. It's, uh, it's cold in there <clears throat> in the winter, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, we've got Rose Gilfoyle on the show today. Uh, we're here in the Stream PDX Airstream, and you're our first live guest. Oh, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first live guest in the Airstream, I guess. Uh, we we do uh, most of the calls by like Skype, or if we're out at a conference or something, or um, we'll carry this little taser-looking thing around with us and record episodes Tase of that. Tase people into submission for yeah. participation. <laughs> Please, thank you. I promise it'll be fun. Go on the podcast. <laughs> um, so I, I did an episode with two archaeologists um, on tattoos, and um, Kirsten and I were talking. We, we were in Salt Lake City uh, a week ago. Yeah. Um, for uh, the Great Basin Archaeology Conference. And um, we started talking more and more about tattoos and just kind of how it intersects with so many interesting facets of life that mm -hmm. um, I think that there's so much to work on that, that it could be, you know, three or more episodes that we end up doing with this. So the episode that we did before with um, two of the archaeologists was uh, – uh, with an archaeologist named uh, Lewis Bork and Dave Witt. And we talked about kind of what it's like to be a tattooed person in archaeology. And so there's kinds of things to consider around, you know, like uh, all of us had a working class background, for example, and um, kind of the the conflict or friction between being a tattooed person and being in academia or being in professional settings, having to deal with you know, like state and federal officials and, um, you know, business and all that. But um, to have you on the show is interesting because you have you have the perspective from the other side of the tattoo machine. So and you have, you know, uh, a wealth of experience with tattoos and different styles, different methods. Um, you also have a really fun experience that you you shared with me from your time in Ireland. Um, so I think it's it's really cool that we have this chance to to get your um, your perspectives and your experiences with tattoos. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think talking about balancing a professional life or exposure to select industries or careers, being a tattooed person, um, it's getting better. I think mm -hmm. it's becoming more accepted, and the more intelligent people who are tattooed even uh, non-visibly, you know, where things kind of peek out from your sleeves or whatever, if you have the common sense to use that as a conversation piece mm -hmm. to maybe facilitate breaking the ice with a stranger, those sort of things, 
especially if the tattoo is well done, mm-hmm. it can open up some really interesting relationships. Um, I don't know if you've shared any of your specific situation with that, uh, but I know that you've you've experienced things like that. I personally have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to hear as a tattoo artist when tattoos that I've given people have facilitated new experiences. Because at the end of the day, it really isn't anybody else's business. Yeah. yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that you're a better or a lesser person. It just means that you thought something was interesting enough to want to carry it around with you forever. Mm-hmm. Whether it means something or whether it just made you smile, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't impact your professional ability mm-hmm. or your sensitivity or your level of intelligence or worthiness. Uh, it's interesting to me that in a modern society, we still have those sort of bits of stigma holding over um, because if you look back at every single historical record of preserved human remains that have been discovered every single one of them has evidence of being tattooed right and we don't talk about that like you know when people ask you know oh gosh you have so many tattoos are you going to be worried about that when you're 80 it's like well this 5,000-year-old mummy isn't really concerned about what her tattoos look like. I think I'm going to be all right, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, you're going to have bigger problems when you're 80 than uh, I, maybe not. what people Modern think medicine about your is tattoos. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> if only we can afford it. Uh, that's awesome, though. Cool. Like that's, that's a great perspective. So um, f- for anybody listening to Go Dig a Hole um, – Rose works at Optic Nerve Art uh, in Portland here, and uh, uh, you've done two of my tattoos, the the two that are on, on my arms. And in the hours I've spent in your chair, you know, we've had a lot of good conversations and, and you know, um, hanging out over over drinks and shows and stuff in the, in the meantime, um, you know, carrying on those conversations. But um, you had... Uh, I think let's just jump right into your experience in Ireland. I'd I'd love to to hear okay. about that. Well, um, so one of my closest girlfriends, uh, her name is Keelan Kaur. She is also a tattoo artist. She lives and works in Dublin. Um, she and I had been trying to tattoo each other for quite some time. And we didn't have a design picked out. We didn't really have an idea of what we wanted to do. Just that we wanted to trade tattoos with each other. Um, We've never gotten to work together before because obviously I live in America and she lives over there. We just met through mutual friends at a convention years ago. And uh, I was over for a visit a few years back. We decided to visit the Boyne Valley, which is an area kind of near Drogheda, Ireland. Um, It's in Meath and it's a very saturated uh, area with Neolithic ruins that all have megalithic stone art involved in the in the mounds and the burial structures there um there's no consensus on what these structures were used for certain scholars claim that they are funerary mounds certain scholars say they were used for religious ceremonial purposes um that's about the only thing that's uh there's a consensus on you know of agreement is that they were used in some sort of religious activity but Nobody really knows what. Yeah. Um, at any rate, it's uh, it's a really powerful environment. It's just one of those places where you feel a bit of the history when you mm-hmm. get to visit. Mm-hmm. And 
We brought some things with us to do tattoos on each other without electricity, just kind of old-fashioned stick-and-poke style. Yeah. And uh, we had access to some land that you don't typically have access to. Uh, We were pretty fortunate for that occurrence. Um, And we spent the afternoon tattooing spirals on each other that are found at that site. Um, And we're both really interested in those for separate reasons. Uh, Keelan's really interested in extraterrestrial lore Uh and the potential crossover with certain archaeological sites. Um, I just think that the history of what we know is fascinating, and it's a little heartbreaking that so much has been lost. So, yeah, that's what we decided to trade, and it was a pretty fantastic afternoon. That is awesome. Uh, so the the stick-and-poke method, um, I don't know a whole lot about its origins and, and where it's used. Do you know kind of where where that style came from? I assume that it's kind of one of the earlier methods of tattooing right? well yeah i mean it would be oh gosh any method of tattooing that's delivered without electricity would be a modification of that right mm-hmm. and i mean even electric tattooing is doing that uh with an assist yeah. if you will yeah. you know a powered assist yeah, yeah. absolutely i mean the, the mechanism of delivering the pigment to the skin is all pretty much the same and mm-hmm. what we were doing wasn't with rudimentary tools, you know, this yeah. is stuff made in 2015 or whenever we did it. Um, but the idea is that you're using something sharp with an indelible ink to deposit pigment under the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, there are Pacific Island cultures that do something similar, but their tools are different. Yeah. Um, the Japanese methods of doing hand tap tattooing are similar, but the delivery is a little different. You know, we just used sort of basement foraged, <laughs> put together <laughs> tattoos along the lines of what teenagers would probably be doing without their parents' permission. So, <laughs> and so many of those teenagers end up having beautiful cover-ups over those. <laughs> I am very thankful for them and their poor decisions. <laughs> Like, I'm sure you've seen your fair share of really horribly done teenage attempts of blotchy, oh, not... Yeah. yeah. I, I think they're <laughs> sweet, though. I think, uh, I don't know, and maybe this is just the scholarly part of my personality, but I love that we're driven to decorate ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's not great that there's not often a lot of foresight there. And, <laughs> you know, I think that... Uh, People sometimes end up tattooing visible places of their body that they might reserve for something a little more professional or, you know, um, maybe not tattooing that part of their body at all. But, yeah, it it happens and it's kind of (laughs) cool. That's fun. What's um, one of your favorites that you've seen? That I've covered up? Yeah, like an amateur, I don't know style uh you know actually our shop manager lizzie shared uh one with me a little while back i think you would appreciate this chris uh someone had a straight edge tattoo on their wrist and they covered it out with a simple x and wrote electric wizard over it (laughs) (laughs) if you're if you're in the know is a pretty fantastic yeah Not straight edge anymore. No, no. Or they just listen to a lot of stoner metal. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, their their, uh, t-shirts say legalized drugs and murder. (laughs) 
Yeah, not to, not for the straight edge or the faint of heart, I suppose. No. <laughs> I suppose not. That's awesome. That's fun. Uh, so you're, you've been, you know, tattooing for a good while, and uh, I'm sure you've seen kinds of the styles of tattoos change and the placement of tattoos change. What's What's been kind of your experience from from you know being a tattoo artist on kind of the the changes um that's that's actually really interesting to address because i think in the moment you don't really understand that there are almost fashion trends that -hmm. happen so when i was an apprentice and just starting out it was still really popular to get nautical stars or to have the small of your back tattooed Lots of tribal, lots of really simple, stylized butterflies, uh, Chinese characters, things of that nature. And that definitely held on for a good few years. That evolved into women getting their feet tattooed was really Mm -hmm. popular for a little while. Um, Women and men having uh, their ribs done, which was awful and hurt my back to no end. (laughs) Um, And... uh, you know, like large cherry blossom trees and big bits of lettering uh, were popular for a long time. And now I'm not sure exactly what's going on. I'm seeing a lot of things done uh, kind of sternum area. Um, but I have the good fortune at this point in my career to work in a custom shop where I get to pick and choose a lot of what I do. Mm. So we're not as susceptible to the trends. Um yeah. I am tattooing more thighs than I've ever tattooed right now, I guess, but I enjoy it. It's an easy place on the body for myself and for the client to work on. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's kind of a treat that I haven't had to do a lot on people's torsos lately. (laughs) It's funny that it was as popular as it was because it's so hard for the person getting it and the person giving it. (laughs) Yeah, I I remember because there's a couple that I have that cross bone exposures more or less like one goes across my spine another one hits close to like my ankle and I got it when I was fairly thin so that bone vibration was always something I'm like I don't understand why people want to get this on their foot like just (laughs) how close it is yeah to your bones it's well it doesn't go that deep you know it feels like it does exactly while it's happening (laughs) there is definitely that sort of grindy vibration feeling but it's so different for everyone in each place. Yeah. It's really hard to decide what it's going to be like before you get started. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's part of the gamble and part of the mystery, yeah. like crossing your fingers that it's not going to be the worst decision you've ever made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, after the, the first two, I'm like, okay, I, I came up with a theory that like if there's a good amount of like muscle, it's less likely. <laughs> that would always be like those moments where I'd like, kind of hold my breath for a second was those like real close to the prominent joints and such it was kind of like well then things will happen that surprise you though i mean when you think about the largest muscles in your body your butt is absolutely one of them if not the largest it's been a little while since anatomy and it is awful it is the (laughs) worst place that i've been tattooed and i don't even have anything directly there yet yeah 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a testament to all of the women who got their lower backs tattooed in the late 90s. <laughs> they were tough ladies because, <laughs> oh, holy moly, it's a nasty place to get tattooed. Well, it's so sensitive anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> my first tattoo was on my thigh, uh, on the outside of my thigh. And as I was talking to uh, Richard Warnock was, was the guy I worked with who did it. You know, I was playing around with placement. Um, you know, where mm-hmm. I, where I wanted it. And I thought maybe like outside of, of the upper arm was probably where I wanted it. And, uh, at the time I was working a job that, um, didn't have as much kind of, um, you know, freedom to have a tat- a visible tattoo. And so I had to kind of consider that, consider that, you know, it might poke out from under a short sleeve, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm in a very different place now, but he, he said, well, why don't you just put it on your, your thigh? And I just hadn't even considered that. And he goes, it's not going to hurt. Um, no one's going to see it unless you're wearing short shorts. And, uh, and so I, I went with that and, um, he was mostly right that it didn't hurt, except there was a, a kind of decent portion of black work that he was doing and he was just pretty heavy handed. Uh, <laughs> And so he was just really digging in there and, but it's, it's like the pain is a journey, right? And it's, it's kind of uh, a few seconds of, of like actual pain. And then you kind of numb out to it and you're just kind of like, what is going on down there? (laughs) What's happening? It's just like a weird sensation. Yeah. It's, it's a really funny thing. You know, um, I have quite honestly never experienced the numbing out that I hear a lot of my clients talk about. And if I had to guess at it, probably 75 to 80% of myself is tattooed at this point. And it's awful every single minute, every single time. (laughs) And I feel bad for all of my friends that have tattooed me over the years because I am a complainer. (laughs) (laughs) But there are so many of you that I can tell from your body language and your facial expressions that that's a very honest statement. Like... After a few minutes, you sort of settle into whatever your process is, and I'm very thankful for that. Because, <laughs> you know, well, especially when you develop a relationship with someone yeah. after tattooing them many times, and, you know, the few people that have made that sort of crossover to friend like we have, uh, you don't want to hurt them. Right. <laughs> I really, I didn't really think, which sounds so naive this many years later. I never thought about what I was doing as being something that was going to hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. Like that just wasn't a part of what I thought about during my training. And when I realized that was happening, um, I like to pretend like I'm really tough, but I'm actually incredibly sensitive and I feel awful when people are having a hard time, you know, it gets frustrating, but, uh, I'm thankful for the ones that settle in like you do for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there definitely were some moments, um, uh, I think on the the last one you were working on, the hawk and the snake, where, uh, you know, it's like, I feel like we have kind of steady banter in the chair, and there would be moments where I would just, like, have to stop talking, and, and you know, you check in as you do, it, you, you're like, you doing okay over there? And I'm <laughs> like, I, I just need to dig deep right now. <laughs> <laughs> The proverbial go digging a hole. (laughs) Digging a hole inside myself right now so I can bury the pain. Questioning my life choices. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 
Um, so what are some of your own favorite tattoos that you have of your own? Oh, on myself? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty lucky to say that I don't have a single thing that I don't love. Um, you know, if it's something that's older that I would do a little bit differently, it has a funny story or a sweet memory. Um, the biggest thing that uh, I've had the pleasure of being a part of that we're about halfway done with, I guess, uh, would be my back and ribs. Uh, Jacob Redmond, who owns Heart City up mm -hmm. in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. He also works at Atlas in Portland here occasionally, uh, is doing that for me. And it's, it's amazing. It's been an interesting process. I've learned a lot from him about how to make my clients more comfortable like physically comfortable uh -huh. um, and yeah it's kind of crazy to have such a large part of my body tattooed at this point that I can't see yeah so I've seen it in photos yeah <laughs> I think I like it it looks nice in the mirror but my head's over my shoulder yeah so, yeah it's interesting um, and I think I see I have a snake on my left forearm that my friend Brian Wilson did for me. He owns Scapegoat, also here in Portland. And I think that's the one that my eyes are drawn to the most. Yeah. Just where it is on my arm. I see it every day and it makes me really happy. Yeah. It's a good looking snake, too. Yeah, yeah. Brian's Brian's a talented guy. Yeah. Nice. Uh, one of the things that Kirsten and I talked about was kind of you know, relating to changes in, in styles of tattoos over time is not so much a, a change in style, but a resurgence of um, traditional tribal, um, like Native American tribal tattoos. And I, we're really interested in exploring that more and in, in like talking to, you know, people who have you know, have gotten those tattoos, like the face tattoos you're seeing a lot in the Pacific Northwest and kind of up and down the, the coast, the West bit. coast. Yeah. yeah. Like the, um, uh, the Chumash in Southern California are, are getting those. And it's one of those things that, um, like you mentioned, people have been tattooed for thousands of years. And, uh, here in the States, you know, we, uh, through a, a series of horrible events, uh, genocide and, and, you know, relocation and boarding schools and all that, um, you know, a, a lot of native traditions were, were lost and it's neat to see these styles come back and be, you know, kind of a, a sign of resistance mm -hmm. to, you know, everything that was. Yeah. to the resistance to assimilation and also just a, bringing back some of the, um, ceremonial customs that usually surround that. Uh, there's a woman who's bringing back some of that in Nome, Alaska, and I meant to look up her name, and I probably will just to fix this section of the recording, but <laughs> <laughs> um, she's been practicing and doing uh, this for a few years and bringing back very similar to the Chumash style of, of the linear tattoos from the mouth through the chin of, of women. Um, in that area and that's something that I've seen a couple of times in town here as well and um, it's it's nice to see nice to know that that people are feeling brave enough to be able to to bring that back because facial tattoos are 
a challenge of their own um, for anyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, and to have that specific um, affiliation of of try of resistance to oppression, um, it's it says a lot, really. And that's one of the things that's neat to see um, are sort of. It's a good way to say this, like a recognition, I guess, of various styles and traditions of tattooing having meaning just aside from um, what, you know, seems cool at the time, like the, well, the and trends. The, and, and there's <laughs> a large amount of bravery involved in that. Um, I don't know as much about specific movements as I do with just what I'm seeing, you yeah. know, a more lay perspective. But knowing, um, you know, I have more than a handful of people in my life who do have facial tattoos, mm -hmm. um, some for decorative purposes, some for political purposes. And I think it goes back to that idea of a conversation piece. Yeah. But being brave enough to wear that conversation piece on your face is a real statement to the strength of the person wearing it, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I think, you know, obviously this is going to sidebar a little bit, but I think from any bit of society where that's becoming more common, whether it be... I don't know, young people riding trains or young people that are affiliated with gangs or doing time in juvenile detention centers all the way up to people in their 20s and beyond who are making active choices outside of that sort of naivety of youth mm -hmm. to make those statements. Um, it's interesting to see and it's interesting to see how people react to it. Mm -hmm. You know, even myself having people that I know intimately and love who have their faces tattooed, it takes a little while to look at the rest of their face. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you often find your eyes kind of drawn to that thing, whatever uh -huh. it is, over and over again. And uh, whether or not the person is willing or interested in talking about their motivation can be a whole nother thing, right? Yeah. Um, it's a complicated relationship that might not be complicated <laughs> at all like you know it could be oh I thought this flower was cool yeah <laughs> all the way to you know yeah this is an important part of my heritage or this kept me from getting killed in prison mm -hmm. you know like there are so many different reasons to be visibly tattooed that uh, we'd have to do an individual session on each thing <laughs> you know like yeah. it's such a broad thing to try to conquer yeah So I guess, let's see, one question um, that I'm curious to, to find your your current insight on is you, you mentioned earlier some of the earlier days of, of doing tattooing and um, having a lot of like the Chinese characters and um, tribal tattoos and those have gone out of, of favor. They're coming back. Oh, they um, really are. It's they really are. crazy to see. Yeah, I've... Uh, I've got a couple shops in the Bay Area that I know and I love their work and I've looked up to them for a really long time as sort of, uh, you know, trend setting shops or whatever. And one of them specifically, I'm seeing some kind of rocker tribal coming out of regularly huh. now and it's blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> 
The nineties are calling. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they want their tribal tattoos. Awful back. fashion back. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I derailed you. No, there. that's perfectly fine. Um so some of it is is what your take on because there's been a lot of conversation in the public realm in the last year or so um, around cultural appropriation. And with tattoos being this episode, I just had to bring that up. Just, I'm sure a lot of listeners would wonder why we didn't if we didn't. Oh, so yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Yeah. you know. Uh, and and I, I think being in the middle of it, I can see both sides very clearly. Mm-hmm. Where, if you take a minute to think about it. I don't think there is a style of tattooing that is not culturally appropriated. Yeah. I mean, almost everything, technically, image sourcing, meaning the ritual of it, mm-hmm. is borrowed or begged from another culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't speak for anyone else, but for me personally, um, I feel like... If the subject matter feels okay to me, mm-hmm. if it feels okay to my client, if it feels like it's coming from a place of celebration rather than, I don't know, trying to take advantage of something that's not yours, mm-hmm. um, like if it's clearly an homage to a culture that a person appreciates, I say go for it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I look at it um, kind of the way that I look at food, you know, if I'm making Mexican food. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm culturally appropriating anything. I yeah. grew up in a Mexican neighborhood. I love it. It makes mm-hmm. me feel like I'm at home, mm-hmm. you know? And food bridges the gap between a lot of different cultures. I think tattoos do as well. Mm-hmm. So as long as, you know, something is being done with positive intent, I think that it's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and also honest intent. Like, I'm never going to be the person that participates in a shamanistic ceremony. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to be a traditional Japanese tattooer. Yeah. You know, like I'm a tall weirdo art girl from inner <laughs> Las Vegas who moved to Portland 20 years ago. You know, like <laughs> I draw flowers and skulls and that's about it. Yes. So. <laughs> nice. That's very well said because there's, there is a fine line between cultural transmission and cultural appropriation. And I, I think you hit the nail right on the head with, the intent and kind of who is who is the person taking the the art or taking the food taking mm-hmm. the culture um, and what are they doing with it um, you know there's there are so many examples of, of negative cultural appropriation and all that but um, I yeah I totally agree that um, everything is transmitted and everything is kind of you know, we're we're in an age where we have like a, a fully global society with with every single culture being connected at some point. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why it's coming up over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the transmission of information. We have supercomputers in our pockets at all times. Yeah, and I think just learning how to be respectful of one another and how to properly show appreciation and making that intention clear. I think that makes it all right because we are going to become a global society if we continue to move forward at this rate. Yeah. So you know. a thought um, I wanted to, to sort of interject in this is, so for me, a lot of it isn't like sometimes, 
appreciation and intent isn't doesn't end up coming out right like you can have the best of intentions but if it's received for example um this is an overdone example but headdresses is you know and 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 that so people are like oh it's an appreciation but it's kind of like but there's so much heavy meaning behind that that in this day of an age of hyper communication, it's not hard to look it up and see what the meaning is behind this and that you shouldn't be doing that. Right. So right. that there's, um, I find it challenging. Um, the whole, the conversation is, is interesting to have. It's come up a few times recently for me. And a lot of it is, is making sure that you're aware of what you're doing and what you're, um, your messages and how that's going to be received by the people that own that basically that that belongs to yeah right and realizing that that could surface a lot of pain and trauma and Mm -hmm. um power inequality yeah so there's there's a colonial um uh dynamic that can often be involved Mm -hmm. in just being aware and cognizant of what it is that you're doing because i mean it is a tattoo it's permanent like and this is my own personal bias of being like making sure this this is what I want and taking a lot of time and thought into what it is that I'm putting on my body for my own personal art. And I know some not everyone does that sort of heavy consideration for it. But if you're involving something of another culture, making sure that that is part of that, that's not going to end up stepping on someone's um, sacred so to clarify are you asking what i feel my personal responsibility and personal ethos is surrounding that or more of a broad thing like advice to potential clients or any or all i mean it's um some of it is is just bringing the awareness of the different arguments to the audience right Um, and then as an artist if you feel any responsibility i don't assume that you necessarily do I know some artists do take more into that and will turn people away for certain things and others won't um and then uh just kind of yeah just bringing in the different different angles on that well I think um to kind of break it down point by point so that Mm -hmm. I don't get too convoluted uh for myself and my you know personal practice or whatever Mm -hmm. um I don't tattoo anything that involves hate speech, anything that involves drug or gang or, mm-hmm. you know, any um, sort of negative connotation for what I feel like I would be participating in. Yeah. It's not about judging how that potential client lives their life, what they do, what their ethos is. Mm-hmm. But if it's not going to feel good to me at the end of the day, yeah, I refer them to someone else. Um. You know, that also goes along with hands, necks, faces of young people who probably don't have their careers in place yet. You know, things of that nature. Um, That's changing a little bit, but I still, I just don't want to be the person responsible for (laughs) changing that part of their lives, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So I think as far as deciding what someone gets and what they don't get, uh, I think that a lot of that research is sort of the burden of the person who's going to wear the tattoo yeah, and what it means to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really complicated situation right now yeah. where 
a small part of my personality wishes everybody would just be nice to each other and quit being so sensitive. If you like <laughs> the aesthetic of something, you don't understand what it means to another culture, and you just feel pretty wearing it, mm -hmm. I do feel like that's kind of okay. Mm -hmm. But I also think that it's okay for, you know, like going back to the headdresses, right? Yeah. Um, they're works of art. They're amazing. They're beautiful. I can understand why festival girls want to wear them, mm -hmm. right? But I see the other side of the argument, too. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that a right or wrong exists. It's mm. people with different opinions, mm -hmm. different feelings from completely different backgrounds who, at the end of the day, are probably never truly going to understand each other. Mm -hmm. And I draw pictures for a living, man. I don't know how to fix that. <laughs> I wish I did because yeah. it, it weighs on me. Mm -hmm. And wondering how to be sensitive about those kind of things without tearing myself up yeah. about what's the right choice. Mm -hmm. Because I don't have a dog in the fight. Yeah. I'm there to pay my rent. Yeah. You know, my art that I make for myself doesn't involve that kind of imagery mm -hmm. so it's it's really it's a strange place to stand at the edge of yeah where I'm directly involved but not emotionally involved mm -hmm. and and I don't know the right and wrong I wish that there was something more clear-cut or that I'd hear an argument that had swayed me mm -hmm. completely to one side or the other but mm. so far I just try to do my best each time and if it feels right I go with it and if it doesn't I ask them to come back in the future for something else. Yeah. Nice. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, you know, it's tough. Yeah. It's a weird, weird thing to be able to empathize with everybody involved mm -hmm. when you're not directly involved. And, yeah. Yeah. Just do the least amount of harm is, is kind of a general, you know. I, I like that sentence, <clears throat> you know. And, and trying to be an ally as well, you know, just trying to be aware of everybody's sensitivity right because yeah. at the end of the day we all just want to feel okay yeah yeah and that can be challenging especially with on your end so many different angles that people are going to be coming at you with with that's what i'm getting at with the cool. sort of confusion of headspace where yeah. you don't really know what's right and wrong so mm -hmm. i think for us or at least for myself i can't speak for any other tattooers just addressing things like that situation by situation yeah Sure. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, when I was first coming up in tattooing and a lot of these conversations hadn't happened yet, um, I've done so many skulls with headdresses or skulls with feathers or, yeah. you know, things like that that were directly Native inspired on people who may be some percentage Native American, but they present as white. Like they don't yeah. present as indigenous people. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. And sometimes, you know, you get to this point where you doubt a person's honesty because <laughs> we all want to be affiliated with something bigger than ourselves. Right. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that that was an important conversation to have. I think when you don't understand that there are questions to be asked because of what you've been exposed to, mm -hmm. it takes a very special way that a person thinks uh, to start to address those things. And I was not one of yeah. those people. Oh, and I really like that you brought that up because there is a lot that I've seen for negative finger pointing from the left community that we live in, in Portland, um, where there's a lot of blaming for cultural appropriation and things where people just aren't aware because we didn't know to ask these questions. And while it's important to be aware of them and to acknowledge them eventually. Also realizing that there is this amount of naivety 
um, that comes with growing up in a mostly white society as a white person and being taught that it's okay. And then later finding out it's not like Mm -hmm. in handling that. And that's one of those things I think people will get or I've seen people get very defensive about having done stuff. And it's kind of like, whoa, whoa, it's okay. You didn't know. Right. Settle down. Right, right. Well, there's there's a difference between an action, and, and I don't even know uh, if being taught that they're okay is, for me, the appropriate way to say that. Mm-hmm. I think there was just an assumption yeah. that things were okay. Yeah. Like, I wasn't actively taught, hey, it's okay to go tattoo this yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was just, no one had protested it. No one that I came up with understood that that imagery was potentially offensive. Yeah. And... You know, at the end of the day, we are craftspeople yeah. when we're tattooing. Most mm-hmm. of us aspire to graduate to be artists, but in a walk-in shop, you are a craftsman. You're yeah. there to do a good job, but to be efficient. And you don't really have the good fortune of questioning the motivation yeah. in that situation. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, when there's not conscious thought and it's not a malicious choice, mm-hmm. Like, just being graceful with one another, you know? Have the conversation without the finger pointing or whatever it is. Because, I mean, I've traveled all over the world, and I think the thing that I can say is a common thread, um, at the end of the day, people really do want to be nice to each other. Yeah. You know, there are exceptions, uh, and (laughs) ego gets involved with a lot of that. But Touché. But by and large, people are kind and people don't want to hurt each other's feelings. So if you don't become instantly defensive, uh, we're getting so far away from tattoos with this. Uh, Well, it it is something that... The philosophy of... (laughs) And I think think it's an important conversation piece to have, even if briefly, just because there... And, you know, obviously I understand the other side of it very intimately, but I, you know, at the same time, it's kind of like... You know, these are learning points. It doesn't mean that that's an evil person because they did this 20 years ago when they had no idea. Yeah. But being also proactive and realizing that, okay, I didn't know then, you well, know, and just you, you being just involved. A really yeah. The history of this city and the state in particular does not have the brightest or most spectacular history when it comes to race relations, for sure. And that's a whole other episode and discussion. Is. Yes. <laughs> I, I will interject so fast though I've been here for 20 years I didn't know anything about Portland's history when Mm. I moved here and I'm so proud that this conversation is finally happening yeah you know it's something where I I work on Alberta Street and I live on Hawthorne so I'm really fortunate to live amongst a lot of like-minded people but the conversation's happening all the time Mm -hmm. and uh, I think I think it's gonna help yeah yeah yeah. Finally. Little, dun, dun, dun. little at a time. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished reading a book called Dangerous Subjects. Hmm. And it's a, um, it's about Oregon's history as um, a kind of uh, British territorial holding, not quite colony. Yeah. Um, and then a kind of contested border zone between, you know, the, the Spanish holdings in the in the south and the british holdings in the north mm-hmm. and then the encroaching u.s territories and all that but it gave it, it gives this uh, historical account of one man who is a black sailor who started in 
the northeastern U.S. and sailed all over the world with uh, the USXX, which was an expeditionary exploring force that was kind of this crazy, like, uh, paramilitary kind of thing that, that, you know, went around and, and just, like, claimed new lands and huh. also conducted reconnaissance on um, rival colonies. And so he ended up through through his journeys in Oregon and he uh, there were several other, you know, black people who who made it over. And this was before the Civil War. So he was a free man yeah. before the Civil War. And um, he the the part that really stands out to me is that before the wagon trains came over, mm -hmm. um, Oregon was a multi-ethnic society. There were several, um, you know, indigenous groups that had their ancestral lands here, and there were also numerous uh, black sailors that had come finally up the mouth of the Columbia River. Because before there were the the dams and the locks, uh, the Columbia River was the the mouth near Astoria was like it was a ship graveyard like ships just yeah. could not come up the mouth of the Columbia and so uh, this man Jesse Sauls managed to you know he was on a ship that wrecked in the mouth of the Columbia survived he was he was a survivor of I think like four shipwrecks <laughs> like it's got good luck the guy <laughs> yeah the guy That's was absolutely amazing yeah he lived a rough life and so he ended up um, marrying a a woman who was um uh uh, uh chinookan and I, I i don't know if her exact um affiliation was ever stated in the book but uh, she was one of the the chinookan people and so he you know was was in a was you know it kind of related by marriage to mm -hmm. the local indigenous folks and um this was all in like hot hot uh you know it, it it pissed a lot of the white people off basically yeah, and so imagine. like when the wagons finally started coming over they were sold you know back east they were sold this this idea that it was just free land for the taking come on out um you know it's paradise you can have your your giant farm and all that uh and they came out here and they were like oh uh it, it's full up here. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually going to have to kill people and take their land. All right. Um, okay. And so it, it's kind of like a, a tragic story of how of how Jesse Sauls and other people like him, including the native people, had their land taken. And then as it was kind of Oregon's condition for statehood <laughs> was as an ex exclusionary place yeah. to yeah. secure a seat for western expansion and it was all kind of as a pawn to force the british uh territorial holdings out of the pacific northwest yep, to get people to come out here yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a fascinating history i'm i'm interested in that book you'll have to you have to get the details on that and put it in the show notes because i think that's yeah. that's a really interesting story um i'd like to track down the author um he's uh his name's kenneth coleman Okay. And he's a professor at uh, Portland State. 
Okay. I'm yeah. sure we could track him down. Yeah. You know, it's a stone's throw from, <laughs> <laughs> from where we're at. Yeah, the west side of the river isn't that far away. Yeah. No, it just always <laughs> seems like it's so, so far. We don't go there. <laughs> don't tell your friends it's so far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Just... <laughs> it's so funny. So my daughter's dentist is on the, in, it's downtown. And whenever she, like, she's given us a referral for the, an orthodontist and she's like, well, how, where, where are you located at? Like, who should I refer you to? And I'm like, well, I'm not really that far from here. It's on the other side of the river though. So <laughs> it's always, it feels like such a chore to come over here. And yeah. it's really only technically five minutes away without traffic. It but man. something though. Like I was <laughs> consciously reminding myself of that. Uh, so um, I had some really big life changes kind of start in 2012. And I was traveling for a solid few years. After that, spending most of that time in Ireland, and uh, when I would come home for a visit, I had to be really present with, like, it's okay to cross Burnside. <laughs> it's okay to cross the river. Like, you're spending most of your time an ocean away. A 10-minute drive isn't going to break anything. Yeah. But it's real, and yeah. we all end up thinking that way. Yep, and especially when it comes to Vancouver. So we went out. The last wild frontier. I know, man. It, it's so funny. Like, we were out with a couple of friends in Northeast Portland last night. And another friend later on in the evening was like, oh, you should come up. We're having this. We're watching this random hair band in Vancouver. And we're like, yeah, maybe. And then we're like, oh, but it's Vancouver. That's never going to happen. God, it's so far away. Yeah. I want to buy a house like next year. 15 and I'm minutes like, out. St. <laughs> Helens or Vancouver? Vancouver is so much closer. And in my brain, St. Helens is more acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's because I think the the if you're in a car, crossing the bridges is a chore. Yes. Like, it's a bottleneck. Traffic it's such about is so variable. But it's let's very go rare. back to I draw pictures for a living. <laughs> I don't have to drive at 8 a.m. It's like, true. This it's is true. not an issue in my life. I'm just selfish. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. This is yeah. very true. Like, it can be awful, though. I had to go up there to pick up a prescription for someone. This is years ago, even not in 2018 traffic and uh, didn't time it out correctly. And I think I spent about two hours on the bridge that day. Oof. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. That's that's definitely the challenge. And there has been discussion over the last many years <laughs> i think there's been three renditions of let's build another bridge across the columbia believe but it when i see it man the coordination <laughs> that goes along with that just from an archaeological perspective uh, is immense like because you have federal entities involved you have army two corps states, of engineers army yeah. corps yeah. Tri tribes most definitely involved. Oh yeah, and yeah. it's it is a huge. That's really thing. an interesting perspective. Actually, I've learned a lot about that from speaking with Chris. Uh -huh. uh, that I, it's very commonsensical once you possess the knowledge. Yes. But back to that whole thing again. I wouldn't have known to ask those questions. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, there are so many things to consider and so many things involved. Exactly. And so much money. Yeah. And then you get into, like, 
you know, they're wanting to do, like, if it were to happen, there would have to be mass transit on that because of the congestion over two of the bridges. Well, the third bridge is just going to be another congested bridge. It would be so fantastic to have an yes. easy way for people that don't drive yeah. like, exactly. to bop back and forth, you yeah. know, uh, not to mention the congestion and everything else, because right now it's it's poorly planned. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's because it was 60 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When Vancouver definitely wasn't a place. No, that's not very nice. I'm sorry, Vancouver. You're lovely. Give we me love a house. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm primarily a bike commuter, and uh, I get, even by bike, I get very frustrated with uh, traffic. It's just, you know, it's it's a lot yeah. more friction. And, and Portland's such a great place for alternative transportation as it is. Like, we have great public transit for the most part. The, the buses are a little dicey in terms of um, how efficient they are to take. Like, you know. Because it depends on traffic. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, drum, and, drum, snare. Yeah. And we've got great bike lanes and all that, you know, yeah. once the, the scooters are out of them. Um, but no, they're in the roadways now. Screw a bike lane, man. They're mostly no on helmets. sidewalks. Real talk. No helmets on the street. No, I've been cut off by them a couple of times, like downtown. These jokers oh. with no helmets and I'm it, it the biggest crazy. complainer about them <laughs> that has ever complained. But I will tell you what, I had a friend visit from Coeur d'Alene. I don't know, two or three weeks ago, uh-huh. and we took the scooters from my house all the way up to have dinner on Alberta with some friends, like a solid five miles. And it was the best five miles I've done in any sort of vehicle all year long. <laughs> nice. We laughed the whole nice. time. So, nice. yeah, if, if they're doing it, be more responsible. But yeah. it's pretty fun. Well, and that's the thing. I'm not against them per se. It's just like you don't there own the road. There needs to be some regulation like, to keep yeah. everybody safe. Exactly. Because if I am, you know, on my motorcycle or in a car and I hit someone on one, I would feel horrible. I don't yeah. want to hurt anybody. So good yeah. choices would make it run more smooth. Make exactly. good choices. Make good choices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I saw something recently that Portland's actually investing in uh, the mass transit infrastructure again. So they're actually going to be expand- expanding bike lanes into protected bike lanes to try and increase bike traffic. They're also cutting down um, a thousand parking spots yep. in the downtown area. Yep. Off this the street. So that'll be... And I think some of the parking garages. Yeah. Um, like I saw, I've seen at least two from PSU area. Those parking lots are gone. They're structures now. Um, so we'll see how, how it goes. I know, generally speaking, that's actually worked fairly well. So I moved here about six years ago on Division. And I've lived in the, <laughs> the area for a while. So you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so it used to be a, during rush hour, it was a four-lane road. And then in certain hours of the day, it was two lanes and then parking along the Uh, edge. They did end up taking the parking out, making it two lanes only, putting a select number of parking spots in and putting in, um, what are they called? They are like specialized, 
the French drain system. Yes, the the drains that have the the plants to Native clean plants. out yeah. the nasties from the runoff. Yeah, it's like a rainwater catchment basin. Yeah, and it, there's a specific uh, Sims for the win. <laughs> What is it? It's a swale. That's what it's called. Yes. It's bioswales. Yes. So it, they've put in a number of these bioswales along mm-hmm. the road, which are, it's great. They're beautiful. They're too. beautiful. I like them. But it actually has cut down on traffic. People don't drive on because they, they're like, hell no, this yeah. is going to take forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and the more little, people buy uh, the sort of impediment blocking. I don't know what they're called, but they have them on Clinton. They have them on Ankeny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where random intersections will be interrupted. And exclusively accessible to bicycle traffic. Yeah. As a bike commuter, I love those. Yeah. It is great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As someone who rides a motorcycle who never abuses things illegally, I bet <laughs> that would be really great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, when I when I work in town, I bike commute. Try, I try to. Yeah. yeah. I, I try to. to a lot, I just, oh man, I'm so lazy. I have a great There's, bicycle. I've gotten lazy and... because I have to commute an hour and a half to work now. But so when I'm in town, I'm like, gosh, I'm so out of shape. I can't. I just, it's <laughs> it really not that so far. It's so good when you do it, though. Like, I know. You feel so accomplished when exactly. you get there. It's just <laughs> yes. getting up the extra 10 minutes early to do it. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And the four months of the year where it's rainy, uh, <laughs> getting your rain gear dialed in is, is a real Yes, task. it rains constantly. We never see the sun for at least four and a half months. Don't move to Portland. Y- usually. It's awful. Yeah. We it's all horrible. have vitamin D deficiency. That yes. is actually um, very true. It is, actually. <laughs> it's mostly because of how far north we are. But Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And unfortunately, we have blue skies right now. That should not be there. I know. Be very edited part out. <laughs> Don't tell them. I'm going to cut that out in uh, post-processing. Yeah. That's all right. Uh, so I guess before we wrap it up, um, Rose, people can find you primarily on Instagram. Uh, you're nice. at Rose G Tattoos, and um, you, you travel a lot, and you do a lot of, of uh, guest spots you know, all over the country and, and all that. So... Uh, um, but when you're here in, in Oregon, you're at Optic Nerve Arts Tattoo. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's my home. It's a good spot to be. Good folks. <laughs> oh, yeah. I actually I actually do have um, a question that I did I didn't think of that's uh, tricky for me to ask it. It's uh, so you're both tattooed women, mm-hmm. right? And so are have what's I guess the simplest question I could ask about that is, is, you know, without biasing the answer is what has been your experience as tattooed women? Um, it's kind of hilarious. So I have two experiences to based on my two most exposed pieces. So on, um, my left arm, um, on my bicep, I have a scorpion, which has a specific, representational structures to it that I, I I drew myself and the most common comment I get is from men in bars saying so you're a Scorpio <laughs> and I really like to use it as a tool of like no and just <laughs> turn away and then it's really awkward after that I'm just like because no. it has nothing to do with that but that is the first assumption <laughs> 
is it is that your zodiac sign i'm like yeah. no and go away <laughs> so completely related i have uh, my my very cool scorpion sweatshirt on oh nice. fabulous and no less than five men in bars <laughs> since it's been chilly out which is only about a month now so mm-hmm. i'm uh unintentionally giving up how often i wear the same clothes <laughs> uh have asked me so are you a scorpio yeah to which I reply, no. <laughs> and then it's awkward. So I'm going to do this. Nice. High five, yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, there is absolutely that objectification mm-hmm. component um, I deal with anytime I don't wear long sleeves and pants. Yep. 100% of any time I don't wear long sleeves and pants. Um, my sister-in-law and niece... We're just visiting for the weekend, and uh, my niece is an Irish dancer. There was a big competition in town this weekend, and I wore a dress and was accosted by men in the elevator at uh, the Oregon Convention Center over on MLK. Uh. And my sister-in-law saw that happen the last time that I visited her in New Mexico, hmm. and she's just like, oh my gosh, you know, how, how often does this happen? And it is every single time my limbs are exposed. Yeah. You know, I you get used to rolling with it, and I try to approach it like, okay, you're not smart enough to understand that I wouldn't come up to you and be like, hey, I like your hat. Let me touch your face. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been single for a long time, and uh, in dating, especially trying to date online, I think people take you less seriously mm-hmm. you're absolutely fetishized mm-hmm. yeah. and it's a it's a weird place to be where i'm like you know i know i'm not an unattractive human i do have a lot of tattoos but that doesn't mean that i don't have old-fashioned manners and values and expectations in the dating world like, yeah i want to be treated like a lady i'm going to be treating you like a gentleman right. so yeah it's it's a funny thing yep Bikers and sailors and whores. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> or my favorite is uh, so the first tattoo I got is a like a full calf tattoo, and it's of a an image that remind made me think of strength was sort of my my the feeling that I got from it, and of course the it, it didn't occur to me then, but it has been pointed out to me a gazillion times is that. You know you have boobs on your leg? <laughs> oh my god, what? <laughs> how those get there? <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> So needless to say I wear slacks a lot, especially in professional settings. Yeah. But that is something that I just I mean, granted, it was my first tattoo. I was 18. I was a little naive you about it. You should have I, to entertain no. those ideas and I'm when just you like, choose an image. Like, why? Like, exactly. <laughs> That's some of it. Is you know, I don't go into the the meaning behind a lot of my tattoos because I'm like, this is very personal. Yeah. I don't ask people generally about their tattoos. I will compliment. Like, that's beautiful. Sure. I'm not going to say, what does that mean? Because that is an extremely personal question, at least to well, me. I, I think most of the time, if it means something, mm-hmm. they're going to explain that to you when you get more comfortable with them. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And or, I mean, you know, my back piece is the largest tattoo that I have that's, you know, one continuous thing. It's fighting bunny rabbits. It doesn't have a meaning. <laughs> I could lie to you all day long and talk about <laughs> communist society and watership down, but yeah. it would not be true. 
I just wanted some bunnies that looked pretty gnarly. That's awesome. And that's that, you know? So, <laughs> you, yeah, it's, uh, again, one of those things where there are so many levels about what could be right, what couldn't be right. Yeah. Just mind your own business and be nice. Exactly. Everything will be better. Yeah. <laughs> Respect people, damn it. Yeah. Come on. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the only other thing that I might say in the tattoo realm is actually there's a lot of archaeologists that I know that are tattooed. Yeah. I'd say almost a majority. <clears throat> that doesn't surprise me at all. That actually makes me <laughs> feel very happy. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know a lot of archaeologists, but I do know a good handful of anthropologists. Yeah. And they're all tattooed people as well. Yeah. We're interested in people and tattoos are a human thing. Yeah. Yes. So... I exactly. Think that it kind of goes hand in hand. It's pretty fun. And yeah. it's neat to get in those conversations um, because there's usually, um, I guess, as archaeologists, we there's usually a lot of stuff behind, like the cultural association and the reasons behind stuff. It's not, um, and not to say that isn't with generally the tattooed population, but. Some of it is is coming from a similar perspective, like having those conversations around pieces that may have come after having gotten a degree. One of the most common tattoos that I see amongst archaeologists, cracks me up, is a, a scale, like a measurement scale, centimeter. <laughs> I know f four or five people with that, either on their forearm or on their fingers. And like one person has metric on one and the standard on the other hand. <laughs> and it's just so funny to me because it's kind of like, well, yeah, you actually, it's nice to have that handy <laughs> so you don't have to dig for it. Yeah. But it's actually utilitarian. Yeah. Mm. And I, I don't know I if love that's... those sort of things. <laughs> um, my last housemate, uh, she did hair when we lived together. She's an embalmer these days, but she has an inch a standard inch tattooed on her finger. Yeah. As sort of a joke, but, you know, could be utilitarian. Oh, no, I just, I want my hair trimmed, you know, an inch or two. <laughs> and it's it's right there. So, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, are there any, I don't know, it's just, it seems like a bizarre quirk of archaeology. I don't know of a lot of other fields that would have a similar af affinity for measurements. I don't know. <laughs> oh gosh! All of that. Um, well, I mean, thinking about different different people that I tattoo who might be in a similar profession or a similar, um, you know, uh, thing that they devote a large amount of their time to, I think that I, I am very fortunate to have a large nurse, midwife, mm -hmm. and uh, physician's assistant population that I tattoo. Yeah. Don't really know how that happened, but they're <laughs> badass women mm -hmm. that I really enjoy hanging out with. And most of them have bits of female anatomy or things that have to do with female empowerment tattooed oh, nice. on them. So that's definitely a thematic thing. Um, huh. Most, and I suppose this kind of goes without saying, but... Most tattooers that I know have tattoo machines tattooed on us. I yeah. have a little tiny one that has a funny and fantastic story. Um, <laughs> nice. So, yeah, I don't I don't think it's uncommon to tattoo tools of your trade. Yeah. Uh, okay. I've done plumbing tools on plumbers. I've done hammers on carpenters. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I really dig that, actually. You know, I mean, if you don't always have your tools with you, at least you kind of feel like you do, yeah. right? Yes. Uh, my friend Noble Holden has a a spoon tattooed, and he's he's been a chef for like I don't know, probably close to 
15 years or so and mm-hmm. uh he's got like a spoon there and it's it's one of those things where it's like uh i asked him about it and i was like what's the deal with the spoon he goes that's the tool i use the most in the kitchen and i want to make I a joke about, about him stirring things with his hands so <laughs> <badly>. <laughs> just in there like winnie the pooh just like... like it's fine i've got my spoon right here <laughs> I'm sure he washes his hands first. Yeah. It's a sanitary, like, full hand stirring the pot. It's yeah. like one of those spatulas on one of those industrial mixers. Like, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Mixer's nice. busted. I'll just make the bread with my hand here. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Those things are lovely, though. Uh, yeah, I've done I've done whisks, spoons, knives on yeah. chefs. Absolutely. Uh, I guess I hadn't really... I was aware of those sort of things, but you know, there's a lot that you do, I suppose, in your day to day that you don't yeah. step back and analyze what uh, what people's motivation is. Because at a certain point, you do uh, you don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I can you imagine. Know, um, <laughs> we don't receive mental health training right. on any level, and especially when I worked at walk-in shops when I was younger. Um, I did a ton of memorial tattoos all day, every day. And I would come home from work just wrecked because I wanted to be supportive and people want to tell their stories. And I didn't have any professional counseling on how to absorb and deal with that, you know, whether it be absorb and purge or whatever. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that where I am now, I don't deal with that much and when I do it's typically with an established client who I am already aware that something's going on in their life you know but uh most of the time we'd rather not know yeah and I do think I can speak for most tattooers in that very broad statement like it's great if it means something to you and at the end of the day I'm just here to create a solid, strong image that's going to endure the test of time. Mm-hmm. What nuances you want to create, those things are encapsulated within you, not me. Yeah. Just tell me what to draw. I'll do yeah. a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Go to Go Whole podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please consider uh, supporting it on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash go dig a hole. All of your contributions are incredibly appreciated. And uh, I've already been able to do a lot of amazing things with your support. So thanks again. And please uh, share this with any of your friends, colleagues, classmates, students, teachers, whatever. Uh, You can also find me online. I'm very online. the blog is godigahole.com. Uh, you can find me on all the social media platforms at godigahole. <laughs> <laughs>